G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. Before we kick off, I'd just like to say a massive thank you to everyone who has listened and contacted me and had conversations and given feedback about the podcast. You guys are amazing. You are the whole reason why I do this. And I would just like to ask you if you do get a lot out of this podcast and you would like to share it with another clinician, another OT who you think might get something out of it, then I will love you forever. This episode, I had a humongous chat with Laura Park Figueroa. Now, some of you may know Laura as the founder and host of the Mind Your OT Business podcast. She also runs her own private practice called Outdoor Kids Occupational Therapy. And we went deep down the rabbit hole on what it takes for an OT to start a private practice and successfully enter the world of entrepreneurship. So I hope you guys get as much out of it as I did because Laura is absolutely amazing. How did OT find me? How far back do you want me to go? It was 20 years ago. So (laughs) I would say, um, I would say when I was in undergrad years ago, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I did the typical like physical therapy. That sounds fun. And I was doing all my observation, but I found myself looking at the OTs more and thinking that what they did looked much more fun. And so I switched my major to OT and started doing OT. And um, I would say what was something that I realized now was really foundational for me that I only recently have come to realize was that I guided backpacking trips right after OT school. I actually postponed my clinicals, my fieldwork experiences to volunteer at a camp in Colorado for two summers. And my direct of my program was not very happy about that, but <laughs> I, I did it anyway. And um, it, it was really foundational for me and just made me love the outdoors, right? And I remember thinking when I was out in the mountains in Colorado with groups of high school students, thinking someday I want to do something with OT in, in nature. And then, you know, life happened. I got married. I started having kids. A school-based job made sense because kids, school, you're off during the summer, right? And I liked it. It was was fine. For almost 10 years, I was a school-based therapist. Before that, I did some work in um, outpatient pediatrics, some private clinic work, some home-based services, um, NICU for a little bit. And so I've had a broad range of experience in pediatrics. But what happened... I don't know, gosh, I guess it's been four or so years ago was that I, I remembered that, that outdoor piece and I started taking kids outdoors for therapy. Right. And it just kind of grew from there. And that's where I had, I had toyed around with the idea of entrepreneurship in the past. Like when I was on maternity leave with my last child, I was, did a whole course on opening a clinic and I just didn't feel the passion. Right. Like yeah, I, yeah. Didn't, I didn't really see myself wanting to work indoors in a clinic. But when I found this outdoor piece and I started taking kids outside, I was like, this is, it's just so fun. And it's totally what I want to do. And I 
just started learning about business. And I think because I was super passionate about what I was doing, I became this voracious consumer of business education, essentially. I mean, I've I've only paid for a few kind of online courses and things, but I I mostly have learned everything that I've learned through reading books and implementing it. And that's just and reflecting about it really. But that's just been effective for me. And I've just slowly I don't I don't consider myself an expert on business by any means, but I do feel like super passionate about getting OTs to take on entrepreneurial endeavors because I feel like our profession is so amazing and Mm -hmm. so rich and has so much to offer the world. And yet many of us don't really truly value what we do to be able to put it out there as a valuable service for people. Like we say that we do, but we don't, I don't know that we actually are like doing it and valuing it and charging what we're worth and all of that. So um, I could go on and on, but that's kind of a short, a short synopsis of how I kind of ended up running my business. So yeah, no, no, I think you're, I think you're right, and I think like I know, like I was saying before, I know a few people that do run their own business, and what I've noticed is that those people are where I am really seeing the I guess, diversity or where OT can go. Like that's yes. the sort of almost the the new frontier of they're, they're the people that are pushing the boundaries of where can I take this skill set? And to that's what's yeah. really fascinating to me. It's like, you know, okay, I love OT as a general concept and as a skill set. What can we do with it? Like everyone knows the, the usual stuff. Everyone knows that you can work in rehab and you can work in, you know, or, uh, or not, I was going to say orthotics then, but um. Pediatric clinics, whatever. Pediatric <laughs> clinics, mental health. Well, mental health mainly here. It's not as big over there, but everyone knows those ones. But, you know, no one would. Yeah. Uh, I don't think like hiking and camping and outdoor stuff would be like the forefront of people's mind when they go, oh, yeah, OT. <laughs> right. Which is awesome. Well, I mean, right. not awesome that they, it isn't the forefront because it really should be. Anything really you can do with it. Um, I remember uh, yeah. I've got a friend in in Canada who, who works in women's health. And that was the first time when, when I met her it was the first time I'd ever heard like, Oh, OTs work in this space. Yeah. That's really yep. cool. Like, is and, that Melissa? Yes. LaPointe? That is Melissa. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know her personally, but she's, I just, I just posted on Facebook cause I know her from online forums. We've communicated a little bit, yep. but um, I haven't ever met her in person, but I just love her work. I, when you said that, I was like, I bet it's Melissa because I admire her from afar. I've told her this on Facebook. Like, I just spent 30 <laughs> minutes looking at what you created. It's just from a business standpoint, she's on my list to interview on the podcast. Because do from a business standpoint, she really has just, she's just taken off lately. And it's amazing what she's created to a value for other occupational therapists to be able to enter online mm. businesses. It's amazing. Like, so I've known her. Shout out since... to her because she's doing great work. 2015-ish. Yeah. And and she'll probably kill me for saying this, but like I remember <laughs> I remember her level of tech skill back then and trying to sort out a WordPress website and trying to get me to do it for her and and like and now <laughs> and now like compared to us actually we were talking about this a, a couple months ago and compared from then to now 
just the the variety of skills that she's picked up just going through that process is massive and I think that's partly why she's all of a sudden just well not all of a sudden but she's now sort of really making big strides is because she you know it takes that time to I guess pick up the skill set that you need yes that's the that's one of the things this is totally hitting on one of the things I'm super passionate about is just I keep saying that I'm passionate about a lot of things it can get obnoxious I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) your listeners I am sorry um I I feel like a lot of times people are paralyzed about business ownership. They, they, they feel like it's entering this huge black box of uncertainty and risk. And my big thing is taking a small step, right? Like a small step, because when you take those small steps and what you just said about Melissa is a perfect example of how when you take those small steps over the course of several years, suddenly you find yourself in a place where you're like, oh my gosh, look at everything I've done in the last four years, like that's, it, it's, it's small steps that make that happen, you know, and nobody, nobody starts out knowing everything they need to know about business. When they start a business, you do, I'm really big on when I coach people about business, I say the next step that's in front of you, don't try Yes. You need a business plan. Yes. You need to know where you're headed, but what, what is the, just the next step? Do the next thing in front of you and that'll get you a little closer to your goal, your 10-year, your five-year goal or whatever, right? So it's, it's definitely like that's a really good example of just not knowing at all and being able to slowly learn those things and get to a place where you have a very viable and successful business. It's cool. Cause, so were you like growing up, were you always the sort of outdoor talk? Has this always been something in your life? Or is it sort of you know, adult it's, life? It's funny, not not really. I I have I get I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of St. Louis. So I do remember going on creek walks, like which now those creeks are probably all paved with concrete, you know, but back then they were actually kind of wild spaces. And I ruined a really good pair of brand new Keds creek walking one time and I thought my mom would kill me, but I hid them until she found them later. <laughs> But I, I would walk for miles with friends in those creeks, you know. And a lot of times in, in the Midwest, too, there's a lot of there's more available land than where I live right now that is public land, essentially, where, for example, schools will have woods behind them rather than being on a cement blacktop playground with a play structure like they are here where I live in California. Yeah, yeah. But um, so I was out outside a lot playing outdoors, but I wouldn't say my family didn't camp. My family didn't go on, you know, rock climbing. They weren't big outdoors people, but I, I came into that. I would say in college, I actually was on a Stairmaster and there was a backpacker magazine in front of me, like in college in the rec center at university of Missouri. And I looked through that magazine while I was on the Stairmaster and I was like, I have to do this. I didn't know people did this. Put backpacks on and go like miles out into the mountains. This is my new calling. <laughs> while you were climbing some mechanical stairs. <laughs> right, exactly. Who knew? It was like this pivotal moment in my life. But um, yeah, so I wouldn't say I really, I grew up appreciating being outdoors and being active. And I think that's so needed today with kids. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that was like who I was at a super young age. It was more something I really found as an adult just centered me. You know, it just felt 
like going home to be in nature. You feel so small and like your problems mm. don't really matter as much. And that's actually been researched extensively because the more, you know, I started to do this work just thinking this will be really beneficial for the kids that I work with. Mm -hmm. And knowing that that piece was important for them to have that outdoor playtime and the just the multi-sensory benefits of being outdoors, of course. But what happened as I started to do it was that I started to look for research and it's so evidence-based. So now I've established a whole approach that we use and it's all based on research and OT theoretical foundations. And so it's, it's cool how it's emerged. And another example of like small steps kind of forming something that, that comes to be all of those as all of those small steps kind of unfold over the years. So, yeah. Can't like as a kid camping scouts, like I was, that was, that was like what you're doing now. That was me as a kid. Um, yeah, absolutely. Massive, Most of us, right. Massive part of, you know, my growing up and I can think of, you know, we used to go for one, two week family camping trips and that kind of stuff. That's amazing. Oh, it was so good. But I think one of the the things, and I've only, I, I kind of lost that a bit as I grew up and, you know, it just didn't seem like a priority. And it's only now, like in the last year that I've started getting back into it. And one of the things I have noticed is, again, I, I'm getting back into it because of the, you know, it's relaxing and I find it, it's like a whole different world when you're out there. But I think, reflecting on it, it it's it's more that if you're out in the middle of nowhere even if you're at a, like a designated campsite but you're camping your priorities are different you've got to start a fire yeah. you've got to prep meals you like yeah it's even though you've you know whatever's going on at home is still going on it's not affecting you there and there's other things that are a higher priority when you're out there things take like that we take for granted, take more effort. So you have to put more thought into it, like even showering or going right. to the bathroom or making a meal or that kind of stuff. Like it takes right. more effort. It takes more of your brain power. So you're actually, I guess, almost removed from some of the first world problems that we have day to day because you you have to be, you're forced to be. And that to me is yeah. really sort of almost like disconnecting from the world for a little bit for a weekend or whatever and, and just relaxing. It's very, it's cathartic. Yeah, it is cathartic. They've, they've done a lot of work and I haven't, I haven't really looked at a lot of this research because it's not my, my, my research for my PhD is mostly in the area of children and the outdoors. So I, I nod at the articles about adults, but I don't really focus on reading them thoroughly. Yep. But there is a lot of research being done right now on outdoor therapy for veterans and really affecting their ability to cope with daily life and, and helping mitigate some of the PTSD symptoms that they have. So it's really fascinating research with adults. And that what you speak to is exactly what I think is beneficial for people who are really yeah. um, just with any kind of mental health problem it's it's so um it's so powerful yeah that's all awesome. yeah something i i've spoken because i'm obviously in a teaching role now as opposed to a clinical role and something i've spoken with my students with before about is you know you know you may not you know we give the usual spiel you may not end up in your typical clinical roles you can do anything you want and all that empowering stuff but one of the things that 
I had a discussion with a couple of classes with was about like if you've got something that you're really passionate about, there'll be a way that you can incorporate it into that. Even if you are in one of those clinical roles and you've got a hobby or something that you really love, generally if the time's right and the person's right, like you can incorporate it. Do you think that on terms of starting your business around it, (laughs) that needs to be like it needs to be something that you're really passionate about? To be successful, I guess? I think so, yes. But I think there would be other people. I only hesitate because I think my husband grew up in Milwaukee and he grew up in a very impoverished neighborhood. And he always says to me, you know, being passionate about your work is like a first world value. You know, it's like he he basically says that like that's a luxury to be able to really love what you do. You know, so with that and that's that's always kind of in the front of my mind when I when I read all this entrepreneurial stuff about like. You can do whatever you want to do and you can you should follow your passion and all of that. While I think that's true, you also you also have to know if it is a viable business, if you're if you're looking at it from a business perspective. A hobby is not a business. A business is something that is sustainable to financially support you or your family. I mean, that's how I kind of define it. Like a business isn't really viable if it's not financially sustainable. Yep. So I think that passion is absolutely like necessary to get you through the hard downtimes that you're going to feel as an entrepreneur, because that's just, you know, it's kind of a roller coaster. So you might feel really down in the dumps one day about prospects. And then a couple days later, things are really great because and looking up. So I think the passion and your love for whatever you are doing might get you through that, um, those kind of low points a little better. But I think I always have my husband's little, <laughs> my husband's little voice in my ear to know that that's really a privilege, you know, to know that that is a privilege to love your work and be able, and we are as OTs, very privileged. I mean, mm. let's be honest, all of us have graduate education, even if we have bachelor's degrees, we've probably worked for 15 years because that's when the bachelor's was, you know, was, um, the entry level degree. So you have a college education and experience, which is, which puts you at a huge advantage and to just honor that and know that, that we have privilege because of that. Mm. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I think you need to be passionate about what you do, but also you need to think about, is it actually something that the market needs? If you're, if you're truly going to design a business around it, um, because, you can be passionate about something, but if people don't really want what you're passionate about, you can't make money off of it, you know, from a, sorry, I'm really direct. No, no, <laughs> like, that's fine. But um, yeah. Makes yeah. sense. And I think that, I think the passion needs to be there and also the desire to really, I think what's gotten me through some of the really low times in my business or just times where it feels like nothing's coming together or I'm working really hard, but the income isn't coming in, you know, I feel like what has helped me is to focus on the mission. What is the mission? Why are we doing this business? The mission is to help families. This for me, I mean, that, that is what I, what it comes down to, to me. I mean, our, our mission officially is to, we have a little mission statement, but, um, (laughs) but I feel like that focusing on the important, the importance of 
offering value to the people you serve and helping them will help you get through those hard times. Because to be honest, almost no business that you run is going to be easy. But when you're in the business of helping people, people are people. We're messy. We're not making widgets and then sending them to someone, you know, <laughs> like we, we are working with people. And in our business, we're working with children who are very complex and they're each their own little individual human with their own individual parents. And I think that helps me to remember, like, nobody says that this work is going to be easy, but it's, it's really worth it when we think about the value and the, the way that we're supporting families. So um, maybe more important than passion is a, a mission, I guess, that is important to you. So, yeah. No, that, that makes, that makes sense. And I've never actually thought about I mean, I, I guess I have thought about it in some ways, but never thought about it directly about, I guess, the privileged position we are just even being in the profession. Because you're right, it, you know, we're all yes. highly educated and, you know, whether we come from whatever background we come from, like we're in a better position just for being, for what it's taken to get into the profession than a lot of people are, you know, to start with. Right. I think that's that's really important for a lot of people to keep in mind. So when you were saying that, you know, you need to be aware if there's a market for it, how do you find that out without, you know, already starting the business? Yeah. So, oh man, where to start with that one? So I think, <laughs> I, I think I can tell you what I did. I, I don't know that I have a, a fully formed kind of, you know, three-step process for figuring out if your idea is great. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of business. I mean, you can look, you can look online. I mean, seriously, the first place to go, Google, of course, and type in how to test viability of a business idea. I mean, that will give you more resources than you could possibly digest, honestly. So I think that for me, what, what I knew where I live, there are lots of occupational therapy clinics that have very long wait lists. And there are, there was no one else that I knew of at the time doing group services in a fully outdoors setting. And I was very convinced that a lot of the kids that I saw would be more engaged and more motivated in therapy sessions if there were peers there, there were other kids there. And I also had a really hard time with the idea of like the therapist in the clinic space with the kid you sprinkle the magic OT pixie dust, deliver them back to their parent and they're fixed, right? Not that all OTs work that way, but that's just my, you know, <laughs> the thing that I think is not best practice as far as how we practice pediatric OT, even in a clinic setting. Um, and so I, I really was convinced that we needed peers or family there because I've, I've experimented a little bit with doing some family visits and we can talk about that too if you want to, but um and also that nature was an ideal space for therapy because there's so many outdoor enthusiasts here. And so the way I tested it was just by telling people that I was currently seeing for, for private services. Cause I was seeing kids when I was working in the schools, I was seeing kids in a clinic where I was like renting space. It was my own business and I paid her to, to use the space um, a couple times a week with kids. So I offered really reduced rate services. I basically told parents, I want to do like two hours on a Saturday morning for the month of May or whatever. And 
I was fully honest with them. I am experimenting. I don't know if this is going to work. Your children are guinea pigs. I'm being totally straightforward. <laughs> but they knew me. You know, they, yeah, I had yeah. been a therapist for their kid for a while. So it wasn't, I wasn't like marketing to the public, like, please come let your kid be a guinea pig. They, they knew me personally and trusted me. And I, I will be forever thankful to them that they, they trusted me enough to, to, have their kids with me outdoors and let me try something new. And I charged them like so minimally. I like, I don't even remember. I think it was like $40 for two hours or something. I mean, something so below the rate of OT yep. because I wanted that freedom, right? I, I wanted freedom to not feel the pressure. I need to set goals. I need to, you know, make sure that I'm working on goals and I need to plan out everything we're going to do. And I need to be very official about this and send families the updates and all the things that you do for therapy, because that's what you're paid to do. Uh, yeah. This was more me experimenting and it was parents gave me awesome. So the parents came with us on some of those and they gave me such awesome feedback that I, from that first, I did it. I mean, I think it was probably only four visits that I just kind of tested the idea with a couple of families and they gave me such good feedback about it and were so confident that it could be a really good business that I moved my whole practice. I basically told the clinic owner, I'm not going to rent space anymore. And I told all the families I was working with privately. There was probably, I don't know, four, four or six kids maybe that I was working with privately that I, that I told the families, I'm not going to work indoors anymore. I'm launching a practice that's going to be all outdoors. I'm going to do two groups. These are the dates and times and ages. And it, I would love it if your child would join us. And then it just kind of grew from from there. So for me, it was kind of like knowing what was available in the community. And that's, that's definitely like do research in your community. Who are your competitors going to be? Yep. Um, and if you can find a business idea, like what I have found that is just so the golden thing with this business that I run is that I am not direct competition for the local OT clinics that are here, because I know the people that run those clinics and I highly respect them. And what I, when I initially started, I was like, oh, I'm starting a private practice and it's not the same thing, but I feel like kind of awkward. We're kind of competing for the same people. Everybody feels that, right? Like we want to have this abundance mindset where there's enough customers for everyone, but it's also, there's a little part of us that's like, but I really need my business to be viable and I need, I need to make sure we get people in the door, right? But what's cool is with this model, what has happened is we are like, we are um, complementary services, essentially. So I run groups outdoors for kids. They're doing more individual clinic-based services, which is a service I don't offer. So when people call me asking about that service, I say, if you want clinic-based OT, I'll tell you the three places I would highly recommend. I love the therapists there. And those therapists then get referrals and they say, Laura sent us to you over at Outdoor Kids OT. She told us you'd be a great place to go. Well, then those people, when they're done with the kids that are getting individual clinic-based OT, and those kids might need a small group to practice some social skills or kind of hone their motor skills a little more, then they're referring them to us. So it's just a, a perfect marriage of, you know, not offering the clinic-based private services, but then having the group services. And so it's, for me, it's worked out really well. And it was something I didn't plan for in the beginning, but it just, if you can think of a business idea that can kind of set you up in collaboration with other local OTs, yep. that is so ideal. So really there's not when you're sort of, I guess, trying to research your, your niche, 
there's not really a anywhere he can just go and sort of look it up. You really need to get in amongst the people and talk to yeah, them, I guess. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you can do market. I'm sure there's some official way to do market research, <laughs> but but really it's a matter of knowing your community and knowing your customer. I'm really big mm. about thinking about who are you actually serving? Like, don't use the words like proprioceptive on your website. You tell, tell people that you're going to help the kid be able to pay attention more. Or you're going to mm. help the kid know where their body is in space and not bump into friends in line at school. Like that's proprioceptive awareness, but it's, it's using their, their proprioceptive game. Like it's using their proprioception in a functional way, but mm. tell people what the actual outcome is going to be. We don't need to be talking to them like they're OTs. They do not care. They just want their kid to be able to stand in line at school without bumping another kid and getting in a fight, right? Like And that's that's the, tell them the functional outcome, outcome anyway. Yeah. <laughs> totally. That's where, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's one of my pet peeves is that OTs that just talk in that language when our yeah. occupational outcomes are better. <laughs> like why were, why are we not yeah. talking about it? It just makes more sense. It's common sense. Like, I think pe- Yeah. I think people that run businesses think that it makes them look smart on their website. Um, But, but ultimately you lose, you lose people when you go into that OT speak, like, you know, this is a big thing. Copywriting. Like I, sorry, this is going to take us down a rabbit hole, but I'm really big about copywriting. Learn about copywriting people. If you are going to run a business, get, there's a tiny book on Amazon that is like my best. I've linked to it on some of my blog posts on the, business website, but, um, Neville Medora is my favorite person who writes about copywriting. He's hilarious. If you get on his email list, he sends you these funny emails about how to write for a customer. They're engaging and funny to read because he's a good copywriter and you want to read them. But he wrote a book that's for sale for like three to $5 on Amazon. It's a really short little book called this book will teach you how to write better. And it's, it just teaches you how to appeal how to, to a customer. Better. Think about what your customer needs. Yeah, it teaches you how to write better for a customer. <laughs> Does what That's it what says copywriting on the box. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a really great resource for business owners because I think I I see websites. This is something I've wanted to do on my podcast is get volunteers to come on and let me like analyze their website and give them advice <laughs> about what to change. Don't look at mine because I I see a lot. Of <laughs> I haven't. Don't worry. Don't worry. I've listened to your podcast, but I'm not on. I I often wonder if people even go to the website for a podcast a lot of times because you're often listening on the go, you know, like you're not sitting in front of your computer listening to a podcast. But um, but yeah, like learning how to write for a customer, I think, is really important. Um, And that's that's part of of kind of knowing who your customer is and knowing what they need. What are their pain points and how are you going to solve those problems for them? Yeah. Passion and solving problems. And not a big investment. I'm sure anyone, even if you're not starting a business, it's probably not a bad book to have a look at. Even just just being in the online space. Yeah, yeah. It's not for academic writing, that book that I mentioned. It's more, it's more for, I mean, honestly, it would probably even help you write emails that people might actually read. You know, it's it's just a a book about basic kind of friendly writing in a way that that 
draws people in and gets their attention and yep. gets them to take some action really yeah i might have to check it it's out it's definitely a business book it's definitely like a marketing kind of a marketing standpoint book but it's an easy read it's short and it's cheap and he's awesome so i have no affiliation with him i don't make any money or anything i just i've loved his just a shout out i've loved his um his content yeah yeah just a shout out to him he's cool no that's awesome so this is kind of the stage where I'm just thinking back to my personal consideration of starting a business way back in the day. I'd say way back. It was like four years ago, maybe. And this is kind of the stage where I got up to where I'm like, all right, yep, there's like, there's a market. Uh, it's a viable. What I wanted to do was viable. Now, all this business, the operational stuff that I don't understand and it's too scary and I don't want to do it where how yep. how do you get past that barrier again just take the next step in front of you that is <laughs> that is my that is my thing so nolo press books are really helpful here in the states i don't know if they have i don't know if they maybe have written some for um an australian audience too because the laws i'm sure are different but um there are books that will help you set up a corporation or set up a llc or set up even just to start as a sole proprietor. Mm -hmm. And really guys, it's just a it's just a checklist, honestly. It's just a it's just a methodical way of going through the steps you need to do to start your business. And I think using a trusted resource like that, you can be pretty confident that you are doing everything you need to do um because they're books that are written by lawyers, you know. And if you come to a step in the process, so I didn't pay a lawyer to incorporate my business. Mm -hmm. I followed the Nolo Press book, How to Set Up a California Corporation. And I just step-by-step step checked off what they told me to do. They tell you the websites to go to, the forms you need to file, the fees you need to pay, everything you need to do. There was one section, one section out of like, I don't know, 25 or 30 steps in the process. Maybe it wasn't that many. I don't want to intimidate people. Maybe it was 10 steps. Let's say that. 500 <laughs> but steps. But there was one step in the process. <laughs> yeah, in the 520 steps. So, <laughs> um, it, it's not complex. I mean, believe me, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like exemplary in any way. Anyone can do this. You can follow the steps in the, in the book and do the start a business. But there was one step where I, I, read the section over and over. I, I couldn't really understand it. I did. I tried to do some research online and I just couldn't, I, I couldn't figure out what they were exactly asking me to do. And so I paid a lawyer for one hour. You know, I got a referral from a friend and I paid a, a corporate lawyer for one hour of his time to help me make sure that that paperwork for that piece was filed correctly. And he kind of looked over what I had already done and so it was like, I don't know, $300, $350 or something. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a five, you'll, you'll see lawyers everywhere saying, we'll file your incorporation for you. It'll be $5,000, you know, yep. and that is so not necessary. It's just not necessary when you first start out. And there may be people who disagree with me, but I, I mean, maybe if you're trying to do something way more complex with like lots of shareholders and a major, you know, we're not in the tech industry getting like startup funding and all of that. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about small business, OT, small business owners who just want to get started. You, the startup cost can be low. You just, you just do not need to pay thousands of dollars to start a business. Honestly, you can start very small and just start taking those steps as you, as you need to take them. So 
You can do it, Brock. I, yeah. <laughs> I think I like I worked out. Part of it, I, I didn't find. I think that was probably one of the issues. I didn't find. I guess a complete a checklist would have been really handy because I found you know bits and bits yeah. of government websites saying you need to do this and blah blah blah. And I've I got some of the stuff done and you know business names registered and all that sort of stuff. And then, it, but it was like, right? I have no idea if I've done everything or if you know I'm missing something. That, like the little bits and pieces that I did do, I'm like, yeah, this almost seems like it was too easy. I'm sure I've missed something. I'm probably going to get in trouble with right. the tax man or. That's when you get a lawyer. That's when you say, will you look this over? <laughs> Can you just check this for me? Proofread it. Right. Make sure it makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, for me, that was the, the big scary barrier. And I think it's from a few people that I've spoken to that it seems to be for them as well because when we train like the clinical stuff, we, we, we know that. And being out, even to the point of being able to, uh, I guess, talk to and investigate if there's going to be a need or a gap, like we're, we're very familiar with communicating with the people that we work with and, you know, assessing their needs yeah. and stuff. But then we don't get, well, there's no, oh, sorry, there's one course in the world now that I know of that does an entrepreneurship course, and that's Griffith on the Gold Coast. In their OT program, in you mean? The, in their OT program. But other than that, like most of us, well, like I've had no business training. My parents own businesses their whole right. lives, and I still wouldn't have a clue how to do it. That's, right, right, that's a big right. hurdle for me, and especially when you, I guess, you want to, or for, in my head anyway, like I want to start it out with very low cost because you know if i do it wrong or it tanks like there's always a that sort of risk versus reward thing going on in yeah. my head and you know i don't want to you know drop 10 grand on a lawyer to set the whole thing up for me and i i personally for totally for, for everything i kind of get a kick out of doing most things myself and working it out um but it's still scary yeah and it was a at the yeah. time anyway that was a hurdle that i just couldn't get myself over yeah you have to i i think i think even just making out a plan about what you want for your business i mean maybe that's the thing i've been thinking about lately is not everyone wants to grow their business to be this huge thing right i kind of do that's just how i am made you know i i i want to expand this and grow it and have it be something different in five to ten years than it is right now and I want to, I love change. Probably that's why I like entrepreneurship is because nothing is ever the same. I get bored if things are the same, you know? So, so that's just me though. It doesn't mean that if you are a small business owner who maybe you don't ever want your business to be a huge business. Maybe you want it to be just you forever and you don't want to have employees and that's just your personal desire. You, you still can you still can run a business and and be a savvy business owner as a sole proprietor and know how to speak your customer's language and know how to give them something of value and get good systems in place for delivering that that service or that product or that content whatever you're producing to mm. to meet people's needs so i i think i guess it's going back to my same like just it doesn't have to be i think sometimes people think it can be really overwhelming and I don't think it needs to be that overwhelming. 
there was something else I was going to say based on what you said, and I can't remember it right now. Maybe it'll come to me in a bit. I don't know. <laughs> so you, so you think it's, it seems much scarier than it actually is in most cases. Yes, absolutely. Because oh, that's what it was. Yes. See, Brock, you're <laughs> awesome. Okay. So that's what it was. What is the real risk here? Hmm. What is the real risk? You know, I, I, I feel like, oh my gosh, I don't want to start a business because what if I lose five grand? Oh my gosh, you've probably lost five grand. Do they have Target in Australia? I don't know. People go to Target here. It's just like a, yeah, it's like people go to Target. You spend $200 and you don't even know what you spend it on, right? Like you've probably wasted five grand over the course of the last few years without even knowing where your money went. Yeah, you walk in for a new pair of socks and walk out with a new right. decorated house. <laughs> right. We have the same thing with exactly. like Kmart here is the running joke. Yes, any store like that. It's like they get you to spend money you don't need to spend. Yep. And so I think I think what's the real risk in starting a very small entrepreneurial endeavor? It, it's probably for most of us pretty, pretty small, honestly. Mm. And I'm really big on, I, I coined this word fail learn. At least I don't know anyone else that coined it before me. I made it up as far as I know, but I haven't heard <laughs> but it. it's, I, it's try, I try to Okay, good. See, we'll make it a thing now. <laughs> yes. We're announcing it. Fail learn is a You've word. You've heard it here first. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> here on the Occupied podcast. Um, well, I don't think I've said it on my podcast yet. So, you know, you probably oh, did get the go. first Look, announcement, scoop. Brock, on your podcast. This is very exciting. <laughs> but I, I, I joke about it. But I, I use it with the students that I teach. I use it with people in business, coaching, like a f- there's not really, you can fail at things. Things can go really poorly and be bad, but you always learn something from it. Always. There's, there's always learning that happens when you fail. And so thinking about business that way, like, okay, you have to take risks in business, right? But if you fail, it's a fail learn. It's not a failure. <laughs> it's not your failure. It's a way that you learn something. And so really thinking about, I'm big on self-reflection. I think that that's like something we don't do enough as OTs even, and we need to help our clients do, is to think about the what went wrong, what went well, what's going to be done, or what went well, what went wrong, what's going to be done differently next time, because that is how you can actually change things going forward when you think about what to do differently. So I think that helps us when we take risks, you know? Have you have you ever heard of the term touch parking? No. That's pretty much exactly uh, to me that's what that a term I would use to describe your fail learning. So, you ever know people that yeah, you know, when you're pulling into a car park and they've got like the little concrete barrier and they bump into it so they know that yep. they're fully into the car park? Right. That's touch parking. <laughs> so you you learn that you're in by sort of bumping into the sides or bumping into yep. the end. An obstacle yeah. yeah so you don't have the full awareness it. of that you're in there until you bump into it you're like yep okay i'm in the car park now that's touch parking right so that's that's i love it that's the term i would commonly use for that kind of of learning would be touch parking touch parking i love it that's great <laughs> you got to bump up against the obstacle that's it right. totally is the same thing you got to bump up against the obstacle to figure out how to get past it although maybe not drive over it i guess don't drive over it do it slowly (laughs) don't do it at speed because otherwise you're gonna hit something bigger and more damaging for sure right 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 and i think that's like another way i've had it described to me is if you're in a room and it's dark you don't know how big the room is you don't know what's in the room but 
you know, you can feel it out. And once, even if, you know, the light never comes on, like once you've felt it out, like you get a, you learn how, like the layout of the room, you learn what's in there and, you know, eventually you'll be able to, I guess, technically see the room yes. itself anyway. So I think in a lot of ways it's about, and correct me if I'm wrong, whether whether you went through this as well, there's, there's a certain period where that learning might be uncomfortable but if you can sit through that and push through that then you know you come out the other side and it doesn't seem so bad it's just scary at the yeah start. of course I think I think we should always be a little uncomfortable in our work in general if we're not a little uncomfortable we're not learning anything you know it's it's like that it's a necessary part of business ownership that you are a little uncomfortable at all times because if not, you're stagnant, I guess. So I like that yeah, a lot. I agree. You gotta get, get a little uncomfortable. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. That that could be a motto for entrepreneurs everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly sure it may have been Melissa that told me that. Oh really? It possibly. We should credit her. Just we'll in case her. it was. Just, yeah. We should credit her. Thank you, Melissa. <laughs> if it wasn't that, I'm sure it was something else that you've taught me. Right. So is and this this even sounds like a stupid question in my head, but once it's up and running, does it get easier? Yes, I would say it gets easier, but you have to have good systems in place. Like I love creating systems. I think you have to think about any workflow that you do more than one time, you need to document the system. Because then the next time you go to do it, you have a list to go to so that your brain does not get on total overload about the steps that you need to do to complete that task, right? Because we waste a lot of time running a business when we're like having all these like kind of random ways that we're responding to things because we're just trying to like work it all out, right? Yep. Um, and so I think one of the things I read in some book early on was never do anything, do everything like you're going to do it again and document the process essentially. So um, I just, I'm self-publishing a book that ha has been being worked on for a very long time. And one of the things I'm doing is documenting the process because I might want to write another book someday and I don't want to have to go through the whole thing of like, oh, wait, I need an ISBN. Oh, wait, I need to get a library of Congress control number. Oh, wait, what website was that? Where was that? I can't find it. How much did that cost? Oh, wait, I bought more than one ISBN. I don't need to buy it again. So where is that? I can't find it. I have, I'm searching my Google email. You know, we all have inefficiencies like that, right? In our daily life or like how we manage our businesses. But the more you can write things down and kind of systematize the process so that you can go back to that list later, um, the easier it gets. You just have a system for everything and you can tweak those as you go. But um, I think that's important, like a system for onboarding employees. What's the system? You can't just hire someone and expect them to start working. You, If you're going to hire employees, you should document a system for how they come on board, what's expected for training, what documents do they need to review, what, you know, they need a time card. They need an email. They need all those things. You have to like, document all of that. So then it becomes more automated. If you get good systems in place, and we use Trello at my business. Do you know of Trello? I do. I do. Again, that is definitely something that Melissa taught me because I'm fairly sure she uses Trello as well. 
Oh, I, I, I literally, I don't know how I ran my business before Trello. It's like my favorite thing in the world. I basically, if you're listening, you don't know what Trello is. It's, it works. I call it like a, I don't know if they call it this, but I think of it like a digital bulletin board. It has, you can have, you have a board, it has lists on it and you have little cards on each list and you can use it for workflow management of things that you do over and over. You can move cards, you can attach things to cards. You can can assign them to different people and yeah, you can work with teams on yeah. it. You can have people on the board with you. Um, it's how my business manager and I, she lives in New York. Um, I live here in California and she's she works as a virtual assistant essentially. And her and I collaborate on Trello all the time. It's just an amazing tool for managing any project or mm. system or business. I think it's I think it's marketed as a project management tool. Yeah. From yeah. And it is. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I use it to manage everything. I mean, it is really my whole weekly, ca- I almost don't use a paper calendar anymore because I have a weekly schedule in there where I have, um, I use Zapier, which is like this, it's an app that connects apps. Who knew such a thing would need to exist, but that's crazy, right? So it basically anything that goes on my Google calendar pops onto my weekly calendar in Trello and I just drag it to the right day and I add all my to-dos in each day. And I don't really, I'm a paper person. I love paper. I mean, I have notebooks everywhere. I love to write (laughs) things down, but I, but I love Trello and I use it as a weekly calendar and to manage our business, even though it's a tech tool. So that tells you something because it's, it's a, it's an easy to use tool for someone that loves paper. (laughs) So yeah, it is good. I love it. So that's like I think that's helpful to have good systems. Yeah, there's a there's a few of those project management. We're not like advocating Trello, but obviously that's your experience. But uh, there's a few. Oh, one that there's one that keeps popping up on my ads. It's like Wednesday.com or something. And there's a I oh know I've, I've used Asana, which is very similar. Asana is one I've heard of too. Yeah. I currently use one called Notion, which is you can be used similarly, um, but it's also got a few other features in it as well. So there's there's heaps out there, and for me anyway, it was just a matter of giving it like they're free. So give it a crack and see what, I guess, what workflow yeah. manager works for you, really. Yeah. If people, I think I have on the first. So if you go to the mindyourotbusiness.com website, there, I think one of the first episodes I did, I linked. I think it's episode two or three. I can't remember, but I linked. Uh, little two minute video just kind of showing my Trello boards, like some of the ways that just an intro for people so they could see what Trello looks like. Uh, It's episode three. Episode three. How to maximize your time as an entrepreneur. One of three. Yes. That's, that's the first part of the three part series we did, but I, a friend of mine actually that I'm business, she's my business best friend. She's on the East coast and I'm here. And to her and I have our little monthly phone calls that we do business um, <laughs> to talk about our businesses, but really we're friends too, right? But she she emailed me and said, oh my gosh, on one of our phone calls, she said, oh my gosh, you had talked about Trello, but I didn't get it until I watched that video on your website. And now I'm obsessed. I'm making all these boards. I'm organizing my whole life. I was like, I told you, it's awesome. <laughs> it's it really It really is a really great tool. And I'm not, again, I don't, it's, I'm not getting anything from this, but it's, um, but it is, it is super helpful yeah. in just keeping the stress level down. Um, I have it set up where I, I actually have, 
I actually have on my weekly calendar that I have, I have priorities for the month set up so that I try to focus my time on those priorities because all of us have moments where we're feeling a little scattered and we kind of have a million things to do on our to-do list, but we don't really know where to focus our time. And so that helps me to have those priorities on a little list on my weekly calendar to remember, oh, wait, I shouldn't be spending time working on um, sending the emails for camp right now because the priority this week was to get my son the music for the video that he said he would produce that still is not done, darling Lucas. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) he's 15. What do you expect? I mean, He's an amazing video. He he's amazing at video content. But you know, when you hire a fifteen year old, they have other priorities like he just skateboarding. Needs to and, get on Trello. Yeah, he needs to get on Trello. Then <laughs> I actually did get him on Trello. <laughs> I did. I just set him up on Trello for a school project that had like tons of moving parts, and he he you could just see the anxiety go down. He he looked at it and he was like. Oh, thank you, mom, because it was all broken down and he could just move things to the done column when he was done with them. And it helped it helped visually for him to break down the the task into all the tiny parts. So activity analysis. Can you set <laughs> up like templates in Trello? Yes, absolutely. One thing I was just thinking then would be super useful for anyone out there who would be willing to set it up would be to take some of those starting a business template checklist type things and set up a Trello template because I think having all that information, like you said, you, you just watch his anxiety go down. And that's the same for me is I'm a, I'm an over planner and I often get like paralysis by analysis. So yes, if I have do. to yep. do something, I will plan it. Like I need to know what every step is going to look like before I'll even start. Something like that is yep. really useful for me so that I can just see it spread out, you know, over a month or a year or whatever. Like I can see the whole grand scheme, even if it's not super detailed. I can see each step. I know what's happening. I know roughly when it's going to happen. And I just think something like that for the how to set up a business like steps would be super useful. That is an awesome idea. So if anyone out there is super Trello savvy and you know wants to be of use, feel free. I'm thinking I might do that. I I I hesitate. The the thing that makes me nervous about it is I feel like you don't know and I guess I guess you would make you could make clear on the offer of sharing the board with people that this is not legal advice. Like if you live honestly from one state to another, the the requirements can be totally different. It could be like a general kind of checklist about things you need to do, which I have in Trello. Actually, I've been, I've been thinking about creating some sort of, you know, webinar, online course, or some sort of workbook. I don't know. I I always have business ideas that I don't have time to to execute all of them, but um, I just love it. So I write stuff down, but, but I have part of the fun. Yeah. It's part of the fun. Exactly. I have a list in Trello of like steps to start your business, but I, I have hesitated, I think, to put it out there because um, I I worry that it will be construed as like legal advice or something, yeah, you know, yeah. before I would, I, I don't Even know. if it's just like a conversion of that checklist that you used and say like, this is this checklist just converted for use in Trello. So 
you know, the information contained is straight yeah. from this checklist kind of thing. I just think, especially with uh, yeah, a modern. That's a good idea. Uh, I'm very aware of OTs keeping up with the times with regards to you know what we're working with and who we're working with, and I think the digital workflow is something that I'm really interested in, and I think more and more of the people that we work with are going to be using them and into them and like more and more entrepreneurs and OTs themselves are using them. And I think that, yes, there's a hundred of them out there, but they all have very similar themes. And I think just even getting your head around one of them, you'd be able to work out, you know, most of the others. Like if you can work, if you get your head around, say how Trello works, um, like you'd be able to get your head around very easily how, say, my workflow in Notion works or um, what's one of the other ones I've used, like Todoist or you know any of the others. They all work fairly similar. So uh, it, it's one of those things I'm like, there's no real excuse, especially seeing they're free, most of them. There's no real excuse for OTs not to even just you know jump on there and have a crack. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, then the worst thing you've done is gain some more knowledge about some things your clients might be using. Like, there's not really a, a super downside. Um, and the best thing is you might find something that's really useful for yourself. Yeah, as you were talking, I, I feel like I've been talking a lot about occupational adaptation theory lately because I took a course on it last semester. And I really hated it when I first started the class because I felt like it was super complex. It has this schematic that has like 21 different relationships represented in 14 constructs and all these arrows going a million different directions. And it is overwhelming to look at it. And students, honestly, they never choose it when you give them like a choose a theory to underlie your treatment that you're planning. They never choose it because it's so complex. I don't think they ever get to really understand it because we spent an entire semester, 15 weeks studying it. And it took me honestly until I'd say around the 11th or 12th week, I, I, I had had enough experience using the theory to inform my thinking that all of a sudden it was like, I love this theory. Like it is, it is so, it's such a beautiful theory that explains so much of the adaptive process in general. And so I was thinking about it when you were saying about using these productivity tools and how they might help us as OTs make our work more efficient. But that's like this thing in OA is that relative mastery is what we really are focused on with our clients as OTs. We want our clients to have an internal sense of mastery so that they can move forward and adapt and change in the face of future occupational challenges. So it's not just that we're working on the goal of them putting on a shirt or whatever. We're working on actually this underlying thing that we call relative mastery that adds to their Mm. sense of who they are so that they move forward being more confident in future situations when they face challenges, which I think is beautiful and is really what OTs do and that's why I love the theory because it illustrates that and gets at the heart of OT. But relative mastery, they define it as effectiveness, efficiency, and satisfaction to self and others. And when you're talking about productivity tools like Trello or Asana or all these things that we might use as business owners or as OTs to maximize our workflow and make ourselves more effective and efficient and more satisfied with our performance, 
yes, it could benefit us, but like a light bulb went on over my head when you were talking because I thought it could benefit our clients too. How many clients do we work with that are inefficient in the ways that they do things or are inefficient in managing their the busyness of daily life and that these tools could actually be helpful to some client. I think of kids with ADHD, like teenagers with ADHD. I mean, my son, we've gone full circle because I just started this whole thing saying I taught it to my son. But but it is helpful, not just for us as business owners is what I'm saying. And thinking about it in a using OT theory to inform how we think about the work we do with clients. Like it, it's a perfect example, what you just said of how OA actually can can influence our thoughts about how we plan for supporting our clients in developing relative mastery. It's, I love the theory. I feel like I've been talking about it so much lately. People are probably tired of me, but, um, but it applies in so many areas of daily life and has been a really cool uh, theory for me just to inform our work at my business and, and also just in conversations like this, just thinking about how it applies. It's cool. It makes a lot of sense. Like there's a reason why, like, all of these different digital workflows didn't end up with similar traits by accident. Like there's a reason why they're all very similar and it's because that's how we think. Right, right. And that's how we organize. (laughs) And even like, so my experience working in mental health, like what's the first thing that we get people to do when they're having racing thoughts and they're quite anxious is we get them to try and calm down and lay it all out, whether it's by writing it down or talking it out or we get them to put the whole situation out and then we can start sorting through it and making sense of it and organizing it and something like this you could do that with it you could use this as a therapeutic tool like more as well as you know an organizational tool like it's yes. it's easy to you know assign a different emotion or uh, something that's happening in someone's life to each of these cards and then set up your columns so that it's you know, I'm going to deal with this yeah. now, this tomorrow, this next week. Like you can really map things. Like you can easily yeah. set it up as a therapeutic tool for, and you can get it on your phone and it's free. Like people, even yeah. the majority of my clients would have a smartphone now. Like the the accessibility of tools like this is ridiculous now. You can get it on your yeah. watch like it doesn't get more accessible than right. that until they implant it into our brains directly. Right. So you know, <laughs> oh, it'll no. happen. It'll happen. I want to be gone from Earth. It'll be like before Apple's that happens. 2022 release or something. The the neural iPhone. iBrain. iBrain. But like that's the thing. Like these <laughs> these tools. Oh, I love it. I think even just getting our head around how to use them allows us to even even if you don't want to get you know knee deep into the theory of it allows us to get a better understanding of how uh, we even in our heads effectively organize really complex situations because that's all that program is doing is it's taking a way that we already think like how we think and putting it into an app and it does that so that we don't have to right. think. Right, exactly. It offloads it from your prefrontal cortex, right? You don't have to think about it anymore. I mean, you have to think about it when you look at it. But when it's visually, I think what else it makes clear is the steps in each process. I think it becomes really clear when you try to document something. When we were talking about you know, getting systems in place. One thing I did wrong really early in business was I... 
I, you know, I just said, I have all these ideas I want to implement and I wanted to offer different services. You know, I wanted to offer like individual services and family services and kind of use this approach that we use outdoors, but do it with families and do it with kids and groups and do Mm -hmm. the summer camp and, you know, all these things. And what happened was I realized really quickly that you need systems in place for all of those things. You need a way that customers come in and what they do one thing after the other before they actually start services. And so one thing I always say to people starting businesses is that you you should be really careful before you start a second thing that you're offering. So you start with your one signature thing, whatever that is, and make sure that that is, is you know, a, a viable idea and you have traction with it and you have systems in place and that's going really well. And then test the market before you decide to offer some other service because I've made the mistake of, you know, oh, let's do parent coaching because we can't, we can't get therapists out to all of these locations to serve kids individual services like in schools right now because we don't have bodies. We don't have people to see them, but maybe parents, you know, just to serve families, we need to just offer phone consults that we could do. And well, unless you're going to like market that, unless you have the employees who want to take that on, even on their own time on the phone, you know, that's, it's still time. Like, and so that like I put it up and then I was like, I don't think we have the people to do that. So it was only up on the website for like three weeks. And then we took it down because I was like, I don't, we don't, we don't have the systems in place to be able to run that. Um, and you realize really quickly when you start a new service, how many systems you have to have, like how many steps is it? If you lay that out in Trello, you know, parent coaching phone calls, like put that as the title, lay out all the steps. Like you need to set it up on your registration platform. You need to manage payment. You need to make contact with the family. You got to schedule a time. You have to find a therapist available, set goals, document goals, how are you going to bill for it? All of that stuff has to be laid out. And I think the, the, these productivity tools that we talk, project management tools that we talk about, it helps you see that visually. Because in my brain, I'm like, oh, it's so easy. You just, you know, offer, offer yeah, phone yeah. calls, no big deal, you know. But, but there's a lot of steps involved that, that to provide a really good service that families will really value, which we want. We want to provide quality services, all not just services. like... Yeah, all the services. It's like good to it's good to niche down and be focused on one thing and know that if you're going to start a second thing, it's going to be a lot of work probably. So because that's yeah. one thing I think there's sort of two ways that I've seen people's businesses grow, and that's like you just said. Then, uh, you know, you start doing one or maybe two things, and then you come up with ideas on what you think is needed. And the other way I've seen people do it is. They'll offer their, you know, their one idea or their one thing they've seen that's missing from the market, and then almost just the market kind of dictates what comes next. Where they just kind of follow along. Yep. It's almost passive. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, the market's asking for this. Okay, let's let's start seeing if we can offer this, and then they design the business around that. Do you think there's any yes. benefit to doing it one way or the other? I think you're totally right. I mean, I just, I, I can speak from my experience right now, what came up for me when you were talking. Um, I don't know if there's a, a benefit to doing it one way or the other. I would say, I would say you always, as a business owner, you always have to be willing to listen to your market and 
so for us, one of the things that has happened is that a lot of families, not a lot, I mean, I would say, because our website is very clear that we offer group services, but occasionally, I'd say like one to two times per month throughout the school year, I get an email or a phone call of a family looking for individual OT. And so because we can't offer that service, I generally say these are the clinics locally and, and refer them to people we know locally. And so I've always thought if we ever want to have a full-time staff member at Outdoor Kids OT, the challenge is going to be filling their day because our groups can only happen in the yeah. afternoon because kids are in school, right? So Should most kids in school, yeah. are in school. <laughs> you can cater to homeschoolers, yeah, but that's yeah. like a tiny little market, right? So, um, so basically the groups are going to be after school hours and that's not a full-time caseload, even if a person were to run four after school groups during the, during the week. And so we've thought through how to, how to fill a staff member's caseload. And one of the things that we are starting this year, because I just hired someone new who will have some daytime availability is that we're going to offer individual services, but in context, like in the context of the child's natural environment. So whether they're at daycare or at home or in their school setting, it probably a private school setting because kids in public school get services here through the schools. But um, so that's, and that's still consistent with my philosophy on how OT should Mm. be provided. I'm really big about the natural environment. I mean, I know that's research-based and everybody talks about that, but um, I think we can still use our, the the approach we've developed is called the Contigo approach. It's connection and transformation in the great outdoors. And when you shorten it, it's Contigo. The word means with you in Spanish, which I think is really cool. It's like, we're with you, you know, and helping you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's, it's, yeah, it's like we're with you in supporting your child. And so I think we can use the Contigo approach even in those those na- other natural settings that kids are in because people that come to us will know that we are focused on connecting children with their peers and with other people in their lives, that we're focused on providing evidence-based therapy, which is the transformation piece, and that we have the value of being in the great outdoors and using nature. And so that might mean that if you're providing services in a school setting, you might take the kids outdoors more than another OT might. I don't know. But um, so it, so basically, the, the community told us they wanted that service, right? Because I'm getting all these people calling me throughout the year. Um, and so when I hired someone this fall, I specifically said, one, I need someone to lead multiple groups after school because we've had waiting lists all year long for our groups. But also availability during the school day would be awesome because that way we can offer this service to people. Now we'll see if it's, we have systems in place for it, but I will see if it's actually financially mm-hmm. viable. That's that's what is hard is because the driving time in between, yeah, I would yeah, have yeah. to pay an employee to do it's that, right? And it's kind of, we're, we're bumping our prices up a bit. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it just depends. That's the thing that's hard is like when you're offering an individual service and you'll say, you are saying you'll provide it in context of their natural environment. It could be that a, a kid, you know, up North asks for it. And then a kid way down South asks for it. And maybe there's a 30 minute drive in between. So that's something we're still trying to figure out. Um, but what happened was I posted this on the website for a wait list for the fall. I basically said, we're going to offer individual services in the fall. Join here on a wait list and we'll let you know when we're scheduling in August. And within a day, I had talked to two parents mm. that had called 
and they were on the wait list already. So we post it for one day. And that's that's evidence of like the community telling us that they want a service and there being yeah. a need for that service. You know, so I think as an owner, as a business owner, you need to you need to think about what's really needed. And I think people, not everyone can bring their kid to a nature area after school and get them there to come to our groups. But if we can meet kids where they're at in that natural environment and still use our approach and hopefully have that outdoor valuing nature and free play and ex- experiential learning and all the things that kind of make up the approach. Um, you can you can use that kind of OT mindset that we use in our outdoor groups in other settings as well. So yeah, it's cool. We'll see, we'll see where it goes. But I think that's a good example of the market yeah. telling us they wanted something. <laughs> so, uh, from what I'm sort of hearing and a couple you've kind of talked about it a couple times is expanding your services is almost uh, a similar process to starting in the first place in that you kind of got to check the market test the market see if it's viable like you there's a lot of those steps that you uh, obviously you're not you know registering business and all that sort of like operational stuff but on terms of actually testing viable products it's sounds like it's a very similar if not yeah. the same process as you would have gone through at the very start yes for a new service yeah that's absolutely true do you would you have to do so i would assume then that you would have to do that for every service that you like everything you wanted to maybe bring into the business you'd have to go through this this process you probably should but um i ju- <laughs> i just thought of another i i <laughs> I won't say but you probably should. There there might be ways to test things on a small on a small level. So a, a, I had another idea when you asked me this question that popped up about testing the viability of an of a of a new offering. So I recently posted on um, social media. So social media is a great way to test business ideas and that's something we haven't said yet in this podcast. So I and I completely didn't think of yep. it when you first asked me the question. So I think that if you are, so for us, I'm a pediatric OT and there is a Facebook group called Pediatric Occupational Therapist that has almost 40,000 pediatric occupational therapists on it worldwide. So a way, if you are, if you are developing a product for, now you have to be careful about if they allow these kind of things on whatever forum you're on, right? But if you, oh, sorry, I hit my mic there. Um, if you want to test a business idea, one way to do that might be to ask people what they want on one of those forums. People love to tell you what they want, especially you know? <laughs> so, for example, I, yes, especially OTs were opinionated people, right? But I just posted a, I was, I'm planning a, a retreat slash training slash conference. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet. I think I'm going to call it a retreat because I really want therapists to know that they're going to relax when they're there too, not just learn. But I want to do a retreat called Therapy in the Great Outdoors to train not just OTs, but any pediatric therapist who wants to come and learn the Contigo approach and talk about how we developed it. And then some some practical skills too, like knife skills and hanging a tree swing and kind of the things that the hard skills you need to know to go out in the woods with kids, right? So I want to do this training. And I I posted on the pediatric OT forum on Facebook last week sometime asking about location. So I didn't say anything about 
what was included in the conference. I just said, I'm planning a conference called Therapy in the Great Outdoors. What would you prefer for accommodations for a conference like this? Do you want like upscale, really nice place that's expensive? You know, I had put 225 a night. Actually, it's 300 a night when I look back in, <laughs> at, the, at the details of the offer. But um, so do you want luxury? Do you want like modest accommodations with food included? Or do Roughly. you want to just come to the training and find your own place to stay? And I was really shocked because I think at this point, like 300 people have voted and there were like 80 comments or something saying, can you put me on your email list? I want to know when this is happening. So I was planning this for next summer and now I'm going to do a beta slash pilot retreat. Sure. It is, is that now. a thing? Pilot retreat, a pilot Another study scoop. retreat. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So now I'm going to do it this fall because I feel like if I just could get a small group of people there um, to get feedback and, you know, offer it maybe a little bit reduced cost because it'll be the first time we're doing it. But I started looking for retreat centers and there's places that include food and are relatively close to me where, I mean, I live in the Bay Area, so it's kind of a destination place anyway. People want to come here um, because I feel like if that much interest if, if that many people were interested online, then I'm fairly confident I could get 10 to 20 people in person in about five months, you know? So it's, it's, you can test ideas that way because people will tell you, you, you'll be able to see if there's no one that replies to your post, probably not a very good business idea. But if there's, if there's people that seem really interested then you can kind of ask follow-up questions. But it's so funny because that wasn't even the intention yeah, of yeah. my posting it. I mean, I literally was like, I'm starting to look at retreat centers. I'd like to know. But then I was blown away by how many people were like, this is so awesome. When are you going to do it? What's the, where's your website? You know, I, I just was completely shocked. <laughs> so it was cool. It was kind of a, a verifying sort of um, experience for me. So I think social media is a great place to, yes. to do that kind of thing in a respectful way where you're not like self-promoting. I, I was not trying to be self-promoting in the, in the post at all, but it just kind of became like, okay, I will give you guys information and okay. Um, all right. My friends were like, you're replying to every single one. I'm like, yeah, because I want people to know that I'm listening to them and that I'm, I'm, I, I'm hearing them, you know, that I will try to tag every single person that commented when I make an official yeah, yeah, announcement for sure. about this. But. I think we could kind of add that in like, what we were talking about earlier is that when we are, I guess, trying to feel out your target audience, like go where they are, and that obviously includes social media as well. So if your target audience is the OTs, then, or specifically yeah. pediatric OTs, then OTs good in a way that in on Facebook particularly, there is tons of networks for any practice area or interest area you could imagine. Yeah. Um, I've spoken on here about different groups a number of times, like I run a mental health one, there's online tech, there's assistive tech, there's women's health, there's like any, any practice area that you could possibly yeah. think of, there is going to be an online community for it somewhere. So... Uh, if you have any, I guess, ideas that you want to discuss or, you know, feel out with people who are in a similar space, then, you know, there, there's plenty of options on there. So, yeah, you can definitely 
definitely it makes sense to to add that to your I guess almost like your your research list in a way. Yeah, research for starting a business, go online and find your community. Find where you where you fit, who who's the, who are those people that are your customers and and see what they say. You can also I mean it it's it's a weird word, lurk, but <laughs> you can lurk in forums too just to get language. Sometimes I I I actually do like to um I'm on a I'm on several for sensory processing disorder and I I like to look at what are these parents what are they really struggling with? Like, what is the language they use to describe mm. the pain points in their life with their kid? Like, and, and that helps you when you're writing to them to speak to what they need, you know, and to develop your services around that. Like that's, um, I'm, I'm likely teaching next year, a, a pediatric entrepreneurship course at the university where I've been teaching. And, um, one of the things that I want the students to do in the course is to research the needs of a specific community that they're developing a product or their business for. And so if you're working with families of children who have sensory processing disorder, go on some of those forums on Facebook and actually identify what are they talking about and and do some research behind that and write about it and think about it and reflect on it so that you're actually helping them rather than just thinking we have this great service in OT, which we do, and and giving them this great service, but you're not able to kind of speak their language and understand the, them. I mean, That's yeah, and being able to, I guess, transverse that barrier is really big any anywhere in the profession. Like if you can't take our knowledge and convert it to a language that the person that you're talking to can understand, then you're going to find life very difficult. Right. So Right. I think that's what was hard for me about theory because I, I really feel like we we should be using theory. When we develop OT businesses, we should be using OT theory to inform them. That is what sets us apart. Our theories are, are the richness of our profession and what sets us apart from PTs and speech therapists and social workers and psychologists and other fields. Like We need to be using OT theory to inform our business ideas and development. But that does not mean that I am going to sit down with a parent and say, well, we use occupational adaptation theory, and that means we look at your relative mastery. Relative mastery is defined as you, I, I don't do that. You know, you at, you talk to a parent in normal language, like, so tell me how things go for you in daily life. Like, what's really hard for you? That that's going to give you where their mm. relative mastery is low, right? <laughs> like, on a scale of one to ten, like, how satisfied are you with with the morning routine with your son? You know, like that's going to tell you part of their relative mastery. Like, they're really not satisfied. Well, that's part of relative mastery of like getting through daily life. So, like, yes, hundred percent agree. Use the language that people don't use our theory language. I mean, you should know how to interpret it in a way that makes it like you're able to talk to people in normal people words not using occupational adaptation and relative mastery normal people words. i like that <laughs> normal people words yes we went yes, to you need to get the degree to understand all this stuff so they didn't have to so you know having to explain yeah. like a course's a course worth of terminology it, it just yeah 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 it bugs me oh it you lose me. them you lose them Right You've away. Shot that relationship in the foot before it's barely even begun. <laughs> right. Like if you can't communicate. Right. We're going, you know, everything there's there's smooth systems in place and um Nicole is 
the business manager and she does a lot of the administrative background stuff so that I don't have to. And then um, I have four employees that are very, very part-time. They're not full-time employees because they're running like one or two groups a week, right? When they have other jobs. But I, I last year pulled myself out of the direct treatment with kids. So I wasn't in the woods with kids running groups last year because I wanted to be available to support my employees. And also I started my PhD program. So that was like, something's got to give. I was still teaching a lot at SMU, which I'm pulling back from a little bit next year. I did hear you talking about this on your podcast about the, uh, the struggle of really wanting to be involved, but also having to pull back into that, I guess, less clinical role within the business. Yeah. I, I really love the, the, I really love thinking about systems and thinking about how to support my employees and, and how to grow the model that we use in the business. And I decide I made the decision this year to kind of pull this coming year to pull back from teaching because I realized I was one doing too much because I, there's, you know, a human can only do so much and I was doing too much, but I really wanted the time to invest in the business because I was joking last year, the business is going, not growing while I am doing my PhD. But when I really thought about it, I want the business to grow. I don't want to just go for four years and I really want my PhD. So something's got to give. And now what's got to give is some of my teaching hours at SMU. So now I feel a little bit of, of, you know, there's some fire under my butt, honestly, to, to make sure that the business is successful enough that I can bring in more income from my business because I got to replace the income that I'm giving up from teaching. Right. So, because we have to it's live. Important. And so, um, I, I recently did a, yeah, I, I have to have money to live. Um, a very basic life. I'm here in my son's closet for podcasting. Um, but I, I do feel like it, it kind of became clear to me this last week because right when I was, you know, thinking about pulling back more from teaching. I did a business consult call. I'll give her a shout out to Iris Kimberg. Have you seen her name online? She's amazing. She's been, she's an OT and a PT, but she's been in the business consulting for therapy practices field for 20, 30 years. I don't even know. She's had a long career doing it. And so I paid her for a business consult this last week because I had had someone apply for one of the OT positions here, but she lived out of state. And she was like, I would even move there for a year and train and then come back and, and run a branch here or something. And I was like, whoa, okay. I got to have someone help me figure out if that is even possible or how I would do that. And so I had a phone call with Iris, which was very helpful in clarifying kind of the the whole um, how, what my role is in the business going forward. My initial thought pulling back from teaching was, okay, I just need to run a few more groups and go in the woods with kids again. But to be honest, my heart wasn't in that because I knew it would take away from my ability to like lead the organization as a whole. So what happened was I talked to Iris and she helped me see that my role can be training therapists in the Contigo approach and running these retreats and trainings and putting content out there to help people understand how to take their work outdoors with children. 
while I'm still, it's still part of Outdoor Kids OT, it's still part of what we're doing, but it expands our reach. It, it gets way more kids to train therapists to be able to take this model and use it wherever. And I'm not doing a franchise or anything like that. I had a bad experience in the past. I'm not, um, I'm not asking people for money. I mean, they'd have to pay money to come to the retreat, of course, but I'm not setting it up where like, oh, if you use our approach, you need to yeah, pay yeah. me money every person that you have Royalties. that you use this. I'm, I'm not doing that. Um, but more... Yeah, like more just training people and allowing them to to use the content that we offer and then offering business coaching if they want me to help walk them through it or maybe some group coaching experiences where if they want help after the retreat to kind of get going and, and have a community to kind of work through all these business issues with. So it's just really cool because I, I feel like that it's a good example of how as a business owner, you you do have to kind of know what you really want to be doing in the business. Um, because truly my heart was like, okay, I have to bring money in. I'll go in the woods. I, I love being with kids in the woods, but the whole idea, I just knew it would take away from my, my visioning for the business and stuff. So it, it's, yeah, it's, I'm super excited about it because it, it kind of became really clear to me how my role can be in my business going forward, even as we're, growing it in a way that is different than what I might have envisioned at the beginning. Um, because I, at the beginning, maybe I just thought, oh, we'll just have different branches of outdoor kids OT. Maybe we could do one in the South Bay. And you know, that's an area kind of like 40 minutes from here or whatever. But that's, that's not necessarily maybe what it's going to be. Like maybe we move more into training people and we keep the local outdoor kids yep. OT kind of small here, you know? So, I mean, we're running six groups. It's, it's not tiny, but it's, it's small as far as small business yeah, yeah, yeah. standards go, you know? So it's kind of cool to think about like just morphing and changing as your business grows and really knowing what, what, what really makes you jazzed as a, as an entrepreneur, like what do you enjoy doing and what gives you energy instead of what like really saps your energy. And I love to teach. I love teaching. I get like goosebumps when I teach. I love it. Um, but I realize that I can do that in my business. It doesn't necessarily have to be in academia, which is, was a huge shift for me, you know, to say like, wait a second, I, I love teaching. I can't imagine giving it up. But then I realized, wait a second, teaching doesn't mean just OT students. <laughs> you know, there are lots of people you can teach. And so, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I'm, I'm just super excited about it and excited to see like what the next year looks like, because it's all kind of an unknown. I made a goal for myself to have like four trainings next year, like have that be the, you know, if I could run four trainings and maybe in different areas yep. of the country, even like take it somewhere else. So I don't know. We'll see. It's very exciting. <laughs> One thing that just made me think, I thought about it the other day and it just reminded me when you were talking about then one concern that I've heard from some people and I had myself as well is do you think in say someone's built a business around something they're really passionate about say you know they may have grown up and been really into camping hiking outdoors life do you think that or has this been in your experience that taking that from something that's probably in the past been a leisure activity and turning it into a business changes 
what it is or what they get out of it on a personal level? Have you found that for yourself? It's interesting. I think, yes, I think it does change your relationship because it's not a leisure activity anymore. I mean, it might be when you're doing it by yourself, but when you're doing it for your business, like there's no perfect job. Everybody's going to have something they hate about their business. Even if you've created the business, there's going to be things you have to do that you don't like doing, you know? And I heard someone say once, if you like 70% of your job, then you're in a good fit. Like that's about what you should expect. 30% of any job is just going to be stuff that you don't want to do. And it's the same way with entrepreneurship, you know, like I'd say maybe I like 70% more. I, I like maybe 80% of what I <laughs> what I have to do as an entrepreneur. But um, but yeah, so I think in some ways when you do turn a leisure activity into something that you're doing for work, it does change your relationship to it, your mental relationship to what you're doing in that moment. But for me, the work with kids outdoors, I, I found myself enjoying the work more outdoors and feeling there, not every day. I mean, there were days when it was like horrible kids fought, it was miserable weather, whatever. Like we're not supposed to say there's anything like bad weather, but you know, reality is when it's freezing cold and pelting rain, it's not as fun as when it's sunny. I'm sorry. I'm saying it out loud. I don't think anyone's going to disagree. (laughs) But um, nature, nature people, well, well, people in the nature world disagree with that. Like you're not supposed to, I mean, that is actually, that is actually something that we, we, try not to do in our groups. We try not to be like the weather was bad today, you know, because then it frames family's expectation that kids shouldn't play outside in rainy weather. And we want kids to get to play outside in all kinds of weather. So that's something we, in my business, try not to say things are, you know, bad weather. So I'm disobeying my own thing that I say to do. But anyway, uh, But, you know, when when there were bad days or things that were really hard or maybe challenging behaviors with a kid, like, of course, everybody has those days. But most days I would be driving home from working and be like, I I just feel this utter sense of contentment. You know, like the forest fed me, too, while I was there as a therapist, not just the kids. And so the other thing it did for me was it it helped me. Um, get outdoors myself more. I have much more of a commitment to like forcing myself to go make the 15 minute drive to the trail and walk on the trail or hi- I call it walking because often I have to read stuff for my PhD. So I just like <laughs> hold a book and walk on this flat trail. But uh, sometimes I hike or run, you know, but on the days I don't go to the gym, I go to the the a beautiful nature area and I spend time in nature because it's, it's sort of, I feel it now if I'm not there. I feel it now if I have not gone to nature. My, I just feel off a little bit. And so, I don't know, sometimes making something that you think of as a leisure, as a leisure um, occupation, making it into your work can actually make you appreciate it more as a leisure occupation too when you do it when you're not working you know like it it deepens your appreciation for whatever that that leisure oh, that experience is as i hadn't thought of that as a possibility but yeah no, that makes sense i guess one uh, i was always concerned about you know if you end up turning it into a business that you'll be like oh i don't want to do that this weekend because you know i've been doing that all week kind of thing um, right but no, that that 
that's really cool. That it's kind of yes, it's changed, but it's not necessarily changed for the worse. It's it's just taken a different form, right? And you've just turned your mm-hmm. your your local trail into your PhD office by the sounds of it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I'm I'm studying while I'm in nature, which so makes me both things make me happy. I mean, it's, it's great. I found a, I found like a hidden spot up. It's a really like 30 minute straight up hill hike and I'm sweaty by the time I get there, which is awesome. And I, I will set up a hammock and just read there for an hour or two and then hike back. And it's just, it, it just makes me feel like I enjoy studying when I do that. Right. Instead of like sitting at my desk at home, reading my textbook, whatever. So you can, you can, I, the horrible term is kill two birds with one stone, but you know, <laughs> another thing I probably shouldn't That's say true. being a nature That's true. lover. It might be taken out of context. <laughs> She's going hunting in the woods. Right. So there I'm you horrible. go, students, if you're listening, that's what you need to do to get through uni. You need to go and find a nook in the bush and study there like a Disney fairy yeah. tale. I just want to say, I, I love how Australians call university uni. I love we it. Shorten everything. I'm going to start just, doing this. I think we're just lazy speakers. I love it. We just, words too it's long, great. we make it shorter. Like I was having a conversation with uh, Sarah Putt, who also runs a, an OT podcast yesterday, because she doesn't. Oh, yeah, I love her podcast. Yeah. Often I'll send her like a voice message or a video message, and she doesn't understand half of the things that I say. But one of the things that we were talking about yesterday was like <laughs> we often shorten the word afternoon to Arvo, even though there's no there's no V in afternoon. Oh. So I was We would exactly. never so understand was, what that is. Yeah. I was rattling off something like, Oh yeah, yeah, I got this this morning and then the Savo, I'm going to do something else and she was just like, What's an Arvo? Yeah, yeah. I'm like this this what? this afternoon. This Arvo, this <laughs> afternoon. Oh, I like that too. I gotta steal all these words. Go for it. We're, we're not we're not overly attached to them. We're uh, <laughs> you don't have to pay us royalties or anything. We're uh, like I said, I think we're just lazy speakers and we just like to shorten words because I don't know. We're a simple people. <laughs> we don't like we don't like compa- complex. Complex. Yeah, we could claim it's that efficiency too. Efficiency in speech. I just write an ebook. How to be an efficient speaker right. like an Aussie. We don't even say Australian. We can't even say that. That's too long. It's like we're Aussie. Right. <laughs> and even some people will even shorten it. Some people will shorten it. that even it. more just to Oka. Yeah. Oka? That's the shortened form of Aussie? Yeah. That, was, that wow. was probably bigger in, say, the 70s, 80s. But, yeah, we'll even shorten Aussie because even that's too long sometimes. Two syllables too long. I love it. Oh, while we're on the podcast train, how did you decide that that was a thing that you wanted to do? How did you come to that realization? Oh, my husband had a friend who does a podcast in the solar industry, and he has been work. He's been doing it for three or four years now, and has monetized it, and it's now like his full time thing. Right? I have no, I have no real intention of it ever being my full time thing. Who knows? Because you know, we've just talked about this. How listen to the market is it changes and it morphs. Yeah. And, and like if the community says they want it, right. So maybe who knows, but um, yeah. So he was in town visiting and he was, we were just like sitting at our kitchen table and he was like, you need to start a podcast. And my husband was like, yeah, you should start a podcast. You'd be so great. And I'm like, 
do you people know what I'm doing right now? I am teaching an OT program. I have three children. I'm running a business. I am doing a PhD. I do not have time for a podcast. And so you compromised and now you run a podcast. Really? (laughs) Well, the thing is like what, what really convinced me was when I, I, I really was like, okay, better done than perfect. Like I'm not, I, I'm not trying to be perfect on the podcast. I'm just trying to put out information that has been helpful to me as a business owner and to share what other people are doing in business. And so, um, I, I don't, I don't feel a lot of pressure on the podcast to be someone other than I just am. I, that, that's what I'm, I'm trying to, to stay true to my real self, which is I'm just a very honest person. I would tell you, I would tell you right now, I would look it up and tell you how much is in the business bank account. Like, I don't care. Like I, I really want to help people with the information. I don't, I don't want to try to be something I'm not. And what, what convinced me to actually do it and start it at the time that I did was when I went online and I looked at how many OT podcasts there were, there were not very many. There were a very few. And nobody was doing any kind of business-related content. And because I feel that very passionate feeling about OTs being really awesome and that we should be starting businesses to share our awesomeness with the world, I felt like, okay, I this is not ideal timing for me, but I'm going to learn how to do this and just start putting really simple content out there. And I mean, I built the website on Squarespace. It's not fancy. It's not like perfectly made or anything, but it's fine. It's, it's cute and all, but I, um, but it's not, it's not like what I would like, if I had someone design it, it's not what it would look way better, (laughs) but it's fine. It's like, it's my, it's my philosophy. It's like better done than perfect. It's like a simple website. It's so that the podcast can be made public And, um, I just learned as I went. And I think what really fuels me is that I'm super curious. Like I have a list already of probably 25 people that I want to interview that are business owners that I have admired online or businesses that I have, you know, seen their websites online. And I know of their work that are OTs and I want to celebrate that. I want OTs to get to celebrate OTs owning businesses because there's so much content in other very related professions like PT and speech and um, mental health counselors. Like there's fabulous business content on those, on those, um, in those professions. But I still feel like OTs have so much to offer in the realm mm. of business. And I want us to own that. I mean, I've heard people say, well, we, you know, if you're an OT, you're not a business owner and you need help from people that know business. Yes, you do. Right. You need to get that mentorship and, and know that you're running your business effectively. But I want to celebrate the OTs that are doing that, that are learning it and doing it and kind of coming full circle. Just what you said when we started entrepreneurship really lets you practice OT in a way that is holistic and is truly aligned with like the roots of the profession. And I think that that is something that I want to celebrate and share with everyone. So that's how I came to do it. And here I am. I've got a lot of editing to do on that. The, I've, I've just started doing interviews. The first, the first interview I did is edited and, and ready to be published. 
I just had to wait for my Libsyn account to like renew because I did too much last month. And it was like, you are out of credits. And I'm like, well, I don't want to pay to upgrade. So I'm going to wait till June 1st <laughs> to, to upload that one. But I did an interview yesterday and it's the first one that I did that it went like t- an hour and 20 minutes. And man, editing something that long, that is a whole new... That's my wheelhouse. It's one thing to talk. So if you're starting podcasts, like that's <laughs> this is long. This is going to be really long. I realize that it's interviewing is a real skill. You're good at it, Brock. You are. I I I feel like I'm still learning how to do it. I think well. One one thing I have learned with regards to that is I feel like people who have worked with adults clinically have had more exposure to it. So like I know a couple of people that have worked with peds and they they obviously can still do it, but they just haven't had the exposure because they're talking with kids for you know most of their career. And so, if you're interviewing kids, you would blitz that compared to me. I wouldn't have a clue where to start. I'd be like, okay, cool. So you went to school right. today? Yep. Okay, awesome. What did you learn? <laughs> Whereas, like, I like I've always worked with adults, and I've worked right, with yeah right. uh, in mental health as well. So, like, I've worked with adults who sometimes. Uh, have had difficulty in conveying what they want to say and that kind of thing. So I think that experience, I guess, helps in a way. That and I just, I'm just talkative. I just like to talk, and I and I'm genuinely curious about, uh, like the, the people that I ask to to come on and, and have a chat. It's it's not like honestly, and I'm sorry, audience, but I don't do this for you. I am genuinely curious. It's for me. It is for me, like the conversations that I, the conversations I want to have and whether I was recording them or not, they're conversations I would want to have because, you know, they're people doing really interesting things and uh, working in interesting places and, you know, coming up with interesting ideas or theories and it's stuff that I want to learn. So it sounds very selfish, but I do this for me and I kind of then get the added benefit of being able to share it with everyone else and hopefully they you know and everyone else gets gets something out of it as or as much out of it as I do as well so you're generous though to say it's you know selfishly for yourself because you are still doing the work to publish oh, yeah. it and that is work it takes work you have to have the tools and you have to sit and do it and so you're you're still being you're still being awesome to our OT community to share this content with people and I agree with you. I forgot to say this because I should have admitted this too, that it is, it is selfish in some ways that I, that I started the podcast because I, I was like, I really wish that I would have started it three years ago when I was first starting because I think it will be really fun to watch and share with a community the progression of my business. Like I, I haven't even told, I, I haven't recorded an episode yet since I've decided that I'm pulling back from teaching a little bit but I, I feel like um, that, is, that is a big change for me. I mean, it's, it's a big change because it, it's, it really makes me have to be, it, ha- it makes my business have to be the prime breadwinner for my side of our finances and the family or whatever. So it's a big change, you know, and, and that's like, that's fun to share with a community of people and, and to say like, I'm in this with you. I'm doing this too. I took this risk. It's very scary for me right now. And you get to see what happens. I might totally crash and burn, you know? <laughs> so I don't think I will at this point, but I, but, but still it's, it's cool to see 
someone go through the process of business ownership that isn't necessarily like a mil- I'm not a millionaire. You know, I'm not I'm right there with people. I'm the same on the on the same kind of um level that they are as far as thinking about business and I wanted to learn from the people that are mm. a little bit ahead of me, right? So I'm not crazy. I'm not going to be calling Tim Ferriss tomorrow and being like, come on the podcast and tell me how to make a million dollars working four hours a week. You know, (laughs) I don't want it. I don't, I mean, I would love to interview him. He's awesome. But I, but I just, I don't have those aspirations at this point. I want to talk to real OTs that are running small businesses and hear their experiences. So it's, it's kind of cool. Um, and I, there are lots of people that I'm like, oh, I want to interview them. Oh, I want to interview them because it's the same. You just have to be curious to do a good podcast because you ask questions that you're curious about and then everybody else and wants to know too. I've got an interview uh, booked in for Saturday and uh, I was speaking to the, the lady yesterday. What's today? Oh, it's very early today. Yeah, yesterday. She was asking me yesterday. She's like, oh, right. you know, is there questions? I'm like, There's no, I, I, I don't. And this is, I don't know if people know this i don't pre- well you know this now i don't prepare anything because i'm genuinely curious and right you know i, I bring people on because i've seen you know i listen, listen to and i love your podcast and i love the content and i was more and, I, and your website and your business is unique and really speaks to me as a really amazing use of ot so for me, the genuine curiosity is, oh, thank you. how did you get there? And, you know, how did this all come about? Yeah, so, yeah. like, I don't, I, don't, I don't prepare questions. I just, like, I come in here with, a, I guess, a growth mindset and a, a wanting to learn. And all of the questions that I've asked today are just obviously built off, you know, what's being said or what's in my mind or, you know, it's, I don't know, it, it's hard. People go, oh, you know, how did you learn to interview? I'm like, I didn't. I'm just curious. <laughs> like, I, it's not, it's not something I've learned in a book. It's just, yeah, that's yeah. just who I am. So, I, and the feedback that I've got right. so far is, you know, people are, are, are obviously enjoying it or getting something out of it, and they might be getting. Whoever listens to this might get something completely different to you know what I might take out of it, but that's okay. That doesn't matter. Like. Here is the content. Yeah. Have a listen. See if you learn something. Yeah. If you don't learn anything, that's fine. Like there's 30 something episodes, 40 something episodes now after this one, when this one comes out, that you can go back and maybe there's something right. in one of those that will spark an idea or inspire a thought or get you to try something different or get you to think about something differently. Like that's, I'm not, yeah. I think that's the other thing is I'm not aiming to change your mind or convince you of something i'm just i i quite often and i used to get uh people used to laugh at this but i would often just play the devil's advocate just because i i like to make people think like i don't care if you come up with the the exact totally, same answer yeah. that you had to start with as long as i've now made you actually think yeah, about why yeah that's kind of my my thing yeah <laughs> that makes a good podcast though I mean, a, a good, I, I feel like a lot of times people are like, oh, I agree. I agree. Oh, we all agree. Every, no, like it's boring if everybody agrees, right? It's, it's interesting if there's real dialogue. So like playing the devil's advocate, I think makes a podcast really interesting to listen to because then you hear people think and dialogue about the, the opposite of what maybe was, was the status quo or whatever. So that's cool. 
you didn't really you didn't really put me on in the hot seat like that though so thank you it's <laughs> okay like i said the, the conversation goes okay i can't oh walk. here it's coming it's coming i don't think ot's should work for themselves what do you have to say about this oh do you want me to <laughs> no 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 not at all there's a you know the australian ot journal in that first episode of my podcast the australian ot journal has a really good article on entrepreneurship so that's I think it's linked in the in the first episode on the website if you want to look at it. Um it's there I do remember hearing you talking about that. They uh Yeah, they 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 did like a survey of OT business owners and found that they don't have they often lack the the practical like training and tools that they need to run effective businesses, which isn't a surprise, you know, like we don't learn mm. that. We don't we go to OT before. school to become business people, but. Um, so that's Milstead, yeah. Redmond and Walker learning management by self-employed occupational therapists in private practice in the Australian journal 2017, or the link is in episode one on your website. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Australians. They're doing so much. There's so much great work going on in Australia with outdoor play. We've and got a lot of outdoors. <laughs> nature play. It's it's a lot. <laughs> We've got yeah, a, a yeah. country the size of yours with about 10% of the population. So we've got a lot of outdoors. Yeah. Maybe I should move there. Oh, I would love... I, I, I've been thinking like if I... If I can get some grant funding to do research in the future i should come to australia for for research purposes to visit some of the outdoor settings there and see some of the nature schools and all that i just think it would be it it would be so fun to see it in a different cultural context too in your within the school system do you have like yearly camps at school kids do i mean there are programs that that do that uh they just they just launched a uh, what's it called? They, they launched a big initiative at the, I just, the children in nature network conference, which is ho the children in nature network conference, which is an international conference was just held in Oakland a few weeks ago. And they made this, the mayor of Oakland made this big announcement. Oakland goes outdoors is this new initiative they're doing. And they basically are partnering with the ACLU and some local philanthropic organizations to get every single middle schooler in the Oakland public schools to to have access to a nature experience during their middle school years. So they want every middle schooler in Oakland public schools to be able to go out in nature. And I think it's probably going to be like a several day backpacking trip or some sort of nature retreat or something that they that they are I don't know the exact context of it. And so things things like mm. that exist, but I wouldn't say that it's I wouldn't say in America that it's like it's it's like totally common. I would I would say that it's it's not part of every single public school program and also definitely not in an area like Oakland where it's super urban and a lot of those kids um may not have access to yeah, nature yeah. the way that others do. Um because sometimes nature areas are inaccessible, you know, they're just not accessible by public transit and so it's cool. There are there are initiatives like that going on. School camp is a thing. Yeah. And I was like, you, every year there's like a different school camp. So like throughout most it. of primary school, actually when I start, when I w went through school many moons ago, I can't remember what year it started, but it was early. It might've been like grade two or three, maybe four. 
but I've heard since then of some schools that'll do it like as early as like grade one, and in grade one it might be something real simple yeah. like the overnight at school, and then right grade right. two they'll do something else and it like sort of gradually builds. But like I know, like the school I went, the grade not I don't see so you guys use like middle school. I don't actually know when that is, so we just do like years right, one, right. To, one to twelve. So in grade nine, middle school is six, six through eight. Ah, okay. What's the one after that? High school. That's nine through 12. That's high yeah. Okay. So seven through 12 is high school for us. And then before that is primary mm-hmm. school. We've only got the two. Okay. So I remember our grade nine was like a three week survival camp with had oh, canoeing and hiking. That is and so amazing. Just yeah, everything. So that was, that was like the, that, our school was unique for doing one that long, but it was amazing grade 11 i remember we did like a week-long hike like a, a fully self-sufficient hike so you know bring all of your gear cooking toileting everything with you what you could carry right there was sailing camps there was you know camps where you went out to like established um i guess yeah they had dorms and kitchens and that kind of stuff like established camp places for school, yeah, yeah, ran yeah. school camps and that kind of thing but it it's yeah. really is common here, which is interesting that yeah. it's not over there because I think the benefits that a lot of – and it was probably slightly different for me because I got a lot of exposure to that through my family and, you know, we used to go camping almost right. every school holidays anyway. But for a lot of the yeah. kids who didn't, like that three weeks – just being away from mum and dad for three yeah. weeks was yeah. our challenge for a lot of yeah. them. But I think a lot of people learned a lot, got a lot of really valuable stuff just from engaging in that, even if that was the only sort of outdoors type, camping type, hiking sort of experience they had. Like yeah. that's, that's especially in those sort of developing years, is pretty Yeah, massive. it's important. So feel free yeah. to uh, move out here because we do a fair bit of that already. And I, I think I OTs, it. it would be awesome to get OTs involved in that. Well, I almost, I almost did my PhD at uh, University of Newcastle. Is that it? Gosh, I'm like forgetting. Yeah, yeah. Um, because Shelly Lane is there and I was talking with her about being my supervisor and I was going to be like an international but distance student there and come on campus during the summers. So they, I wrote a whole research proposal and everything all about, you know, outdoor OT essentially and accepted me, but then there was like no funding at all connected to it. So no scholarship, no, they, they just like that year stopped providing funding for international students. And it would have been like 150 grand or something. And I just, I just was like, no PhD is worth that. No awesome. She's an awesome researcher. She's fabulous. But I was like, I just can't do it. I was so disappointed because I just I would have loved to have worked with her and had to come to Australia once a year for just a month in the summers, you know, like my family was like, we'll go with you. And, you know, but um, but yeah, it just didn't work out. But so it's funny you're saying that because I did almost that was relatively close to actually going there. So it There's was still not to time. Be. There's still time. <laughs> We make it happen. I think I'm sticking where I'm at for my PhD. I'm a year into oh, coursework. I'm not going anywhere. After the I'm like, <laughs> there's still time. Yeah, I'll come there on my celebration. I'm done trip. How about that? <laughs> yeah, deal, deal. We'll make that happen. Right. 
If people wanted to look you up, find more information about you, where should they go? Where can we send them? Yeah, they can They can go. Well, if they want business information, which I think is mostly what we talked about, they can go to mindyourotbusiness.com and you can join. There's an email list there where I give people a free super bill, which is if you have a private practice that's cash pay, it's kind of a paid and full invoice. And we learn through trial and error what insurance companies want to see on that. You give that to the family or the, your client completed and they give it to their insurance company. So it's not for like, processing billing. If you're a cash pay practice, you don't, you don't do that. You can give it to families and then they submit it to insurance. Lots of people ask for that. And I just created it and shared ours. Um, cause it's been, it works. It's been successful. We don't get a lot of those returned saying like, we need your such and such number. Yeah. Yep. So there's that. And then, yeah, it's, it's a pain when they return it and you're like, but I don't bill insurance. So I don't want to be dealing with, this is the whole reason I don't bill insurance. But, um, so you get that if you join the email list and, you know, have at it, keep it. And if you don't want to be on the list, unjoin, it's fine. <laughs> um, and then, um, the other thing that we have for people is, uh, are you ready to be an entrepreneur checklist? So, I think it's really good for people who want to start a business or people who are running businesses that might want to do a little self-reflection on their own, um, their own work flow and their own work as an entrepreneur. And then after that, I, I go inside the, the back end of my business a bit. I, I do actually open my, in one of the, in one of the emails that I send in the sequence of emails that people get, I, I go into my budgeting and show people how I do my budgeting. So you see like a moment in time in my business bank account, which, you know, at the time had like six grand in it. I mean, it wasn't like, Hey, yeah, look yeah. how successful I am. <laughs> it was more to share information with people. Right. Um, but, but, and there's also just useful tips, like how do you manage receipts and how do you budget and how do you, um, there's some stuff about growth mindset. It's all like entrepreneurial content and that's like a monthly ish email. It's set up automated. There's nothing being sold right now. It's just to share information with people. So that's that list. And if you just want to see outdoor kids OT, you can see the outdoorkidsot.com is the website. You can see my practice and yeah, I think that's it. If you if you want to email me, um, Laura at OutdoorKidsOT.com is the best email. And I, I do tell people like I'm happy to answer questions on the podcast. That's really helpful to me if people have general questions that that we can talk about on the podcast to answer. Um, but I I do do business consult calls too. So if people want specific advice about business, it is something that I charge for, for my time because I'm teaching people to value their time. So I'm trying to value mine. Right. <laughs> so, Definitely. um, yeah. So get in touch that way and yeah, I, I will see where all this goes. It's super exciting. It's fun. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'll uh, throw all those links in the, in the show notes as per usual. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah, like Thanks, I said, it's Brock, been so much. so much fun. And uh, yeah, we will talk been. soon. Thanks for having me. I loved it. It was so fun. Did I convince you to start a business? Well, <laughs> yes. Yay! You're going to monetize the podcast now, right? No. You've convinced Think me to uh, look into my uh, a side hustle idea that I've been considering for a little Good. while.